this episode of Print Run. My name is Eric Kane, and with me as always is Laura Zatz. Say hello, Laura. Hello, everyone. Today is April 2nd, 2018. Um, it is still snowing here in Minneapolis. We will never be free of the cold. It is the land of eternal winter, and we're all going to die in an ice flow. Um, but Guess apart how Eric from, feels about that. <laughs> apart, apart from that, it's a great day, and we've got a great show for you today. We're going to talk about all kinds of different things. Um, but before we get to any of those wonderful topics that we will be touching on very soon, how about the basic rundown? Yeah, so um, we have four special episodes coming to you in the month of April. Woo! Woohoo! We have our query show for our $3 a month Patreon supporters, our first pages in writing by reading available for our $8 a month Patreon subscribers. Um, and then we have a special thank you to all of our Patreon supporters uh, as uh, a thank you for reaching our 100th patron. Mm-hmm. So we will be doing that. Definitely look out as uh, the month progresses, but we should be in for a treat. Um, as always, send us your suggestions, your queries, your first pages, anything like that to us at printrunpodcast at gmail.com. So we've got, there was a thing that there, happened. There, <laughs> there were many things that happened, <laughs> but this is a particular thing that happened. Um, someone wrote a novel, a, de- a plucky debut novelist, Yep. Um, wrote something edgy <laughs> um, that the whole book world is talking about, um, which is always a good thing, right? Um, and of course, we are referring to Sean Penn. <laughs> has Sean written, Penn. has written a novel um, that has the entire book world talking. Um, it is called Bob Honey Who Just Do Stuff. I hate it already. <laughs> Eric, I hate it already. Well, it was more like, I mean, I, I hate it too, but it was so funny when people like got wind of this. There was like this groundswell online right like with the second that like you know they're like an excerpt came out and then like the reviews like everyone hurriedly went and reviewed the book you know and with a lot of hate with i mean everyone was just so mad about this book and with good reason from everything i've read on it and about it and of it you know even the, the excerpts that we got but um, yeah, Sean Penn wrote a book. It's complete nonsense, from what I understand. It's got like uh, a ten-page poem about the Me Too yeah, movement at good. the end of it. That's definitely really good. That's how you know that you've really written a great debut novel is the- when you just write like a <laughs> like some of it is like in verse. I think like yeah, there's bits well, that rhyme, and there's there's lots of alliteration, and yeah. the prose itself rhymes in a lot of yeah. places, and it's yeah. just yeah. There's a lot of really like you know. One dollar words um, that are used slightly incorrectly, and it's just kind of a hot mess. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was really, I was actually kind of pulling for this book to be good because I, I didn't want the book industry to be the type of business that was just like, oh yeah, Sean Penn, <laughs> let's publish his book no matter what. <laughs> yeah. Well, guess what, Laura? It is that kind of industry. Um, mm. We're all here. Um, this is Simon and Schuster again, who you will remember is the same publisher that did the Milo thing, um, among many other, we'll call them notable projects. <laughs> um, so put that together how you will. So this is what the um, Huffington Post had to say on it, real quick. 
Um, we might also call it needlessly cynical to promote such a garbage novel as The Second Coming of the Crying of Lot 49 just because it was written by a craggy white man with an unearned sense of intellectual superiority and a well-thumbed thesaurus. Nonetheless, Penn was allowed to publish this novel, and Salman Rushdie blurbed it. So here we are. Um, that's basically, I would say, um, indicative of about the response this book has gotten. Salman so Rushdie far. blurbed it, and so did Sarah Silverman. <laughs> yeah. It just, just. Um, and Sam, Salman Rushdie said Thomas Pynchon would love to read this book, oh my which God. is just like the most anti-blurb. You can hate. Blurb. Also, lots of people like to come for Thomas Pynchon online. You can hate Thomas Pynchon and still realize that this is that that is a completely ludicrous thing to say. Um, but like, it's just it's one of those things that just makes the whole process seem so stupid. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we've got this these farce of these blurbs and this just clearly transparently atrocious book. Do you think it's going to sell? Like, do we have any idea if it's sold at all so far? You know what? I bet. Are people going to buy this? No. I bet the, uh, I bet people are going to buy it to, um, hate read it, which is why that the, the ebook is actually really expensive for Hmm. this. Like it's atypically expensive. Hmm. And so I think that they knew that the marketing team knew that, um, I I think that this book probably got a lot more media attention yeah. than books were printed. Like I really don't think that bookstores probably stock more than two copies, and I don't think that they're expecting them to sell. I think there's going to be a lot of uh, returns from bookstores, and I don't think Sean Penn's going to earn out, Eric. Oh well, yeah, they probably gave him a ton of money. I can't yeah. imagine he's going to earn um, out. Um, so I looked for this book. In two library systems. Did you? How'd it go? Uh, I looked in the St. Paul Public Library System and then the um, Hennepin County Library System, which is what uh, Minneapolis is in, in the surrounding suburbs. Um, And I couldn't find it. I found like 10 copies of Sean Penn's biography, Hmm. but I could not find even a single mention of this novel. Sean Penn is the guy who did the, he was the one who went down and did that El Chapo profile, wasn't he? You know what I'm talking about? I don't know. Like he went down there for Rolling Stone, and he like went and like had this really stupid conversation with this with the oh, yeah. drug dealer, and everyone like hated him for it. And he was like Mr. Edgy yeah. South America drug man for a while. He also assaulted Madonna <laughs> once in the 80s, so yeah. he really, really uh, deserved it. Which makes a book him a perfect, deal. yeah, Jeez. perfect person to be publishing for the um, Me Too moment that we're having. Um, so but I feel great job, everyone. Great. Um, though I will legitimately say, great job to uh, the New York Times. He wrote a very funny review about this book um and there's a bit where they kind of describe how terrible the prose in the book is and then the reviewer says this if that sounds like an unfair swipe at the prose take a look and this is a quote from the book itself there is pride to be had where the prejudicial is practiced with precision in the trenchant triage of tactical terminations that's a sentence about hunting by the way Um, so things are really good. I would say that the book industry is incredibly healthy. We thought about doing this as a death knell. Um, in retrospect, I think think it would have been better. Okay. So we've been, everybody and their mothers have been slamming this book and pulling out ridiculous sentences like that one. Right. Um, but I do feel like we should, we should, we are better than that. We should probably (laughs) consider that one bad sentence does not a horrific book make Mm -hmm. and so because we um 
we are very good at breaking down pros and and kind of talking about how it could be better. We do it on our first pages show and our query show. Um, We are going to use first pages format to break down (laughs) the first page of the chapter one. So we're skipping the prelude because y'all don't need to see that. There's a lot of crap that we're going to pass through in the excerpt and we're just going to kind of get to this little bit here. That like is maybe the like the most kernel of a story that could happen there. Basically um, we were given a few pages of excerpt here in the CBS News um, piece that they ran and this is the one thing that had like a few coherent paragraphs in a row and so we're going to go with that. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So Eric... Take it away. All right. Are you ready? So let's do this. So it it says at the top of the excerpt here, Station 1, and then in all caps, Seeking Homeostasis in Inherent Hypocrisy, Summer 2016. You know as much about this as I do. If that sounded incoherent, I I can't help you. (laughs) Um, But let's get started here. Um, Cactus Fields, a low-cost home for assisted senior living, looms like a large khaki-colored brick isolated against a backdrop of distant ambient light. Its draped windows and solitary silhouettes sit in a seemingly endless desert tableau. Here it seems that the desert itself has been deserted. I... (laughs) What do you think of the alliteration? That's just, like, constant. Yeah, desert tableau. It seems that the desert itself has been desert. Pick another word. No, 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 no. It's, like, it, no, don't you get it though, Laura? It's the desert has been deserted. Like, see how it's like the same. It's like the noun got turned into a verb and placed upon itself. I, I need to. I need to be deserted myself the, and like <laughs> stuff some ice cream in my face sorry, to make up for this. I'm sorry that you don't understand language, um, <laughs> but let. Yeah, that, no, I mean, it's one of those things where it's just clearly so try-hard with the, like, you, the uh, solitary silhouette sit in a seeming, it's just like, shut up. Do you know what? Yeah. This is also just one of those things that if this came to us in a real yeah. first pages, yeah. we would actually really pick this apart because <laughs> there is no character, there is no action, there is no movement, we're just given a scene that doesn't need an entire entire paragraph it's like a building yeah but what about the distant ambient light aren't you mesmerized by that no are you mesmerized no laura (laughs) are you mesmerized keep reading (laughs) um and there they are the brandless beasts of yesteryear moist sagging eyes illuminated by the rarefied strobe of a passing car on the interstate Behind the windows of the beige stucco building that sits behind a dilapidated, sporadically visited parking lot where brown weeds burst through fissures in the pavement, eight senior residents have been awakened by the power cut. They huddle side by side in plastic chairs, portraiture of sagging faces falling in and out of delicate light and shadow. There's a blotchy batch of colorless dermal masks. God, that la- <laughs> that was my interjection, sorry. That last life spark extracted from their oblivion, a reckoning of their uselessness in a world where branding is being. Bound by brutal boredom. Oh, that alliteration. Then, then ellipses, line break, mercy comes. How we doing over there? Uh, First of all, (laughs) you can't spend the entire first paragraph talking about how this building is completely alone. And then in the next one, talk about it, that there's a beige stucco building right next to a parking lot. And like then then it's not all by itself. First of all, I would say that there's no easier tell to trying to figure out who's trying to be like Mr. Writer Man 
than really, really like long descriptive phrases in like non-important syntactic moments in the sentence. Like you've got these like prepositional phrases that are like 10 words too long and don't actually have to do with anything of this with the subject of the sentence. And it's all just like, how many adjectives can I fit on this line? How many times can they can they talk about how repulsive a aging face is? Yeah. Is my question. But here's the thing. Here's the thing, Laura, that I think you're missing. Branding is being. Yeah. Does that mean we're <laughs> we're a sassy loon? We are. It, it does mean that I spend most of my day online as a animated bird. Um, <laughs> so that's healthy. As is this book. Let's let's keep going. Um, pop pop pop. A chosen three down. The elderly are being executed. Wow, this this escalated. The elderly are being executed by a talented blunt force. Gloved hands reconnect wires in a power box out back. Eight now reduced to five, whose day will come. A dull white Pontiac ignites its engine, rolls over the fissures of weeds, onto the interstate and under its driver's breath. It wasn't me. They put Shaggy in this book, huh? Man, yeah, they did. Um. That is just the most obnoxious way to write a murder ever. Yeah. Like, especially like a hit. Yeah. Like, come on. Like, give me, give me a person. Well, we spent more time on like the building than anything that actually happened. Yeah. And like a chosen three down and like, ugh. It's kind of a theme. I mean, we have a few different little pages and paragraphs here. So I guess... Um, maybe the question, Laura, is are you requesting more pages out of this? Are you, you know... Looking- I am not, <laughs> Eric. I am not. You're going to take on Sean Penn as a client? Probably be lucrative. You got this big old deal. He's not going to get another one. Maybe. You don't know that. I, I think Do he's... not underestimate Sean Penn's ability to fail upward. I mean, maybe <laughs> like, fail upward. <laughs> like, he'll keep doing it. It. But, but <clears throat> will Simon and Schuster learn? No, come on. Yeah. Come on. Someone okay. else. I mean, I bet there was an auction for this book. I, I bet that, that that more than one editor was interested in this. Oh, I am sorry that all we put you all through that. Yeah. And I am sorry to those who you know are whose whose dreams are about being published by the same publisher that uh, <laughs> did this book because. Good lord, yeah. people. Um, anyway, we like to think we're better than that. We often aren't. Is perhaps the best way to put it, um, but I suppose we should we should move past Sean Penn, as frankly should America. Um, but I fear that neither is going to happen anytime soon. So no. So on to something cheerier. Yes. Microsoft. This is this is appreciably not cheerier. But uh. <laughs> no, that was that was supposed to be a joke, Eric. Okay, yeah. That was supposed to be a joke. Yeah. Um, on to something cheerier. Microsoft is uh, completely like taking control. And starting to monitor all of your Microsoft things, including Skype, Xbox, email, uh, Microsoft Word, all sorts of things, because they don't want you posting, quote unquote, inappropriate content. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it seems as though the idea here is to, um, you know, this is kind of a movement we've seen in Amazon and he, and now in Microsoft. You're like, any of these platforms that have decided to crack down on what they perceive as offensive language. And we obviously 
wouldn't really it wouldn't be within the parameters of the show really and we wouldn't care that much if it was just like hey now you can't you know scream racial slurs on xbox live like everyone seems to every week and hey you know now you've got to you know change your behavior on any of these kind of public online platforms that um you know they host but the one that caught my eye and the one i think that really kind of raised people's eyebrows in the writing world was microsoft office is on here yeah like so I think that, I mean, this is sort of a developing story, and we don't really know how it's all going to play out, and maybe it'll be nothing, but, um, you know, if they're able to revoke services and they're able to, it looks like they have an ability here, you know, they'll halt email, they'll, um, you know, do various things like that if they feel that you've, you know, crossed whatever sort of content boundary. Um, they'll remove, they might be able to remove what you publish, so, like, yeah. definitely download the copy of your manuscript that you're keeping in the cloud. Yeah, that's the thing, and so... It's like, might this serve some sort of negative purpose for any writer who uses a Microsoft cloud-based technology through Office? You know what I mean? Like, it seems as though this is the sort of thing that um, is going to require, like, it just seems strange that all of a sudden, like, the tech company that you're using their word processor for and maybe even their storage is now able to, like, look at what your writing and look at your correspondence and look at things like that and say, hey, well, that's offensive and now it's off our platform. You know, like that worries me. And especially in tandem, you know, we've seen this with, you know, Amazon will, you know, now, you know, they'll take things out of it, their algorithms and things like that if they find things to be, you know, offensive, which obviously is the sort of thing that really affects certain genres of book more than others, you know, like um, you know, erotica, for instance, right? Like, that has they've a lot... completely removed from exactly. The like, the, yeah. you know, it's a whole genre of book that has a lot of, um, obviously, a lot of content that would fall under the guidelines as offensive or pornographic. You know, in, um, and I don't know. It just seems to me like, you know, we're at kind of the early stages of this story, but maybe this is something that we kind of need to pay attention to. And obviously, like, um, you've got you know civil rights lawyers already kind of raising the flag yep. here and seeing but and to it's be tricky man to be clear um this change isn't just because like yeah. microsoft decided to like censor people right. one day um <clears throat> apparently they've always had kind of uh obscenity rules in place for xbox which yeah. they've super not been enforcing <laughs> um but congress just passed the fight online sex trafficking act which is called fosta yeah. and that they combine that with the stop enabling sex trafficking act which is basically um a combination of bills that make platforms like Twitter, um, YouTube, Skype, you know, all of these platforms responsible for what users say and share. Um, and so kind of in, in, an, in a strong effort to fight sex trafficking, basically very imprecise legal language has me, uh, means that a lot of these big companies are cracking down. So like Craigslist stopped their, their, uh, personals ads. Huh. Um, yeah. you know, there's, there's a lot of sub threads that were deleted on Reddit. Mm-hmm. There is a lot of other things that are being cracked down, you know, book publishing, obviously, as you mentioned, Eric, um, having trouble with romance and erotica, um, but I I don't think people are paying attention at all to the implications of somebody's manuscript in progress. I mean, I think also you know the implications of having like the Microsoft you know cloud based services, you know, and how it interacts with Word. You know, it sort of matters because 
you know, a lot of writers, you know, not everyone uses their own computer to write stuff down. You know, people use cloud technologies because maybe, you know, they're working from a library or something or they're working, you know, maybe they don't have access to a laptop all the time, you know, like or any other reason why people use the Internet, you know, to, you know, maintain and, you know, host their, you know, ongoing creative work and, and not creative work. But obviously, for the purposes of the show, we're kind of talking about, you know, writing in the book world. But it's one of those things where. You know, if that space is now subject to the sort of um, content scrutiny that it's talking about here, and obviously you get the um, impulse behind some of it, you know, you do want to crack down on some harmful things, but um, I guess maybe, and this kind of is a more broad thought about tech, but I don't really have much faith in a big tech company's ability to censor like to censor appropriately like harmful content like look at twitter you know what i mean like who gets and i know it's not the same thing but like you know twitter always has these you know proclamations about how they're going to crack down on bad stuff and let the good stuff live and that never happens right like the things that twitter deems offensive are things that are pulled wildly out of context written by people who are usually being harassed by like nazis you know what i mean and the nazis never get banned and the people who um you know i you know defending themselves or fighting back in whatever way are the ones who end up kicked off the site and it's like that obviously doesn't have really much to do with this but the idea still holds where i just don't really trust microsoft as an entity to like oh i see this person's writing a you know an erotica novel and i guess their stuff can stay or you know i think that um you know this you know i don't really believe in these places ability to um hold context very well in some of these decisions and i think we're going to hear if this kind of goes through in the way it seems like it will we're going to get some stories of people losing their work or being kicked off platforms that might actually alarm a lot of us so the reason for us talking about this here um is to a get you to all download all of your stuff that's online just to make sure that everybody has it and maybe stop working off the cloud for the time being but also to really um Call call your call your senators, call your Congress people, um, because otherwise this is going to mean a lot of really negative things for a lot of art. So because time is a flat circle and we're never actually done with any of the topics we thought we were, no matter how silly or frivolous or fun, we are, of course, back on Marlon Bundo, the stupid bunny book that John Oliver did in response to the other stupid bunny book. Um, with Mike Pence's, uh, who was it again? It was his daughter. His daughter wrote it and his wife, who he calls mother, illustrated it. Um, So we're back in the news with this again, and this time it's because um, independent booksellers are mad at Amazon, or they're mad at John Oliver about this because of Amazon, right? Like, So if you remember the sequence here, um, John Oliver did one of his little sort of dramatic end of episode things where they reveal some product they've created and um, or whatever it is, and they had created this book, right? And they sort of announced it to the world on the show. It's available and it right was, now. Right, exactly. And it was sort of immediately available, and you could go on Amazon and buy it. And that was all fine and good, and it was exciting, and everyone got their jokes in about the rabbit and Mike Pence and all this kind of crap. But, like, um, one thing that kind of rankled people in the book world is that no one besides Amazon had heard about the book up until that moment, right? Amazon was the only bookseller with it available they were the only people who had been kept in the loop a bunch of independent any independent bookstore um had no idea the book was coming until after the fact and of course the result of that is that all the sales from you know the first week of 
what is a very popular book, right? Yep. Like this is a immediately, uh, and this was easy to predict, you know, an immediate bestseller. Right? Like Print is, run is 400,000 copies yeah, up exactly. from 40,000. Exactly. Yep. Like this is the sort of book that you know is going to be a sensation when it happens. And all of those sales went through Amazon, right? Well, not all of them. A lot of them went directly to uh, Last Week Tonight as well because they set up a couple of different websites. Sure. But yes, most came from Amazon. And, you know, and people were mad because it's one of those things where, I mean, independent bookstores and any other, you know, bookseller like that, they're already kind of, um, you know, behind the eight ball with this stuff like that, yeah. you know, we, we are, we know all this already, you know, they're smaller, they have a hard time doing outreach, you know, their sites aren't as accessible. They don't have as many users, all these things. Um, and this felt to them, I think that Chronicle, the publisher of the book, um, sort of stuck the, you know, kind of put them at an even further disadvantage that no one in books would theoretically be cheering for. Yeah. You know I, mean, I mean, and Chronicle's an independent, an independent company as well. You yeah, know? a good press. I mean, it's... So it, it, it hurt a little bit more, I think. Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, it was sort of one of those things where, you know, this wasn't like a big five, you know, f- press. This was a... This was a place that gets it, you know, and they still chose to kind of do it this way where the only... You know, the people who kind of got the um, real windfall out of this were the people who most of the book industry would agree isn't the ones who need it. Yeah. You know? So I, in many ways, you know, agree with the booksellers going, hey, you know, you just cut us out of this important thing when you repeatedly have done shows about how bad Amazon is. And, you know, you're kind of... um, you know, cutting off your nose to spite your face in many ways in terms of, you know, end of show activism, right? Uh, On the other hand, um, a lot of booksellers are mad at Chronicle because they didn't get a fair shake at selling a book in like a free market, right? Mm -hmm. Which you know, is fair. They didn't get a fair shake. But on the other hand, you know, it's Chronicle didn't need bookstores for this. You know, like John Oliver didn't need bookstores to take a 55 percent cut yeah. for this. Yeah. Um, you know, in terms of, you know, getting money to the Trevor Project, bookstores are are not the most important part of this of this equation. Well, I think maybe what you're saying is that Chronicle did not make a bad business decision here, right? Like they were able to, um, you know, go through the most efficient avenue possible. They were able to do what they wanted to do. This is a success for them. Like they, you know, none of this is to say that somehow Chronicle hurt themselves through this financially, through any of these choices, right? No, I mean, why, why should bookstores get a cut? from and i'm to be fair i'm playing devil's advocate right, here right. um why should bookstores get a cut from a book that essentially is sold itself that yeah. sold itself on different platforms and it yeah. kind of makes me think about you know like are buyers at bookstores upset when um someone self-publishes to really great success mm-hmm. or are they mad when somebody buys an ebook because yeah. those are also areas in the book industry that push out the bookseller. But booksellers are very famously, you know, anti-self-published books. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the fact that Amazon is the focus of this and kind of got a, a huge number of the print run, like that's that's super shitty. But it's a but it's a 
business. And so I think what a lot of these booksellers are doing is they're throwing blame on Chronicle and John Oliver saying, you know, we successfully followed, you know, signed affidavits and like released Harry Potter without, you know, any leaking or something. Well, so there actually talk, was leaking. Just for the just so for context here, the leaking is important. So the reason yes. so the reason Chronicle stated that they didn't go anywhere but Amazon is because they wanted to maintain the secrecy of it, right? Complete like they secrecy. wanted they, they you know the uh, argument that by their publisher was that they um, you know, they wanted the world to find out this book existed on the show, on John yeah. Oliver, on Last Week Tonight. And right? to be fair, the book industry is very pokey in terms of that. Like, they're, yeah. like the book industry, in far as distribution goes, is not capable of flipping a switch and then going, oh, now this book is for sale. You like, there's, for that. You, you can't like, do it. Like, that's, <laughs> so that's the thing, is like, it's... One of those, you know, and this is true in so many different instances in the book world where, like, everyone can make the choice that is, like, most beneficial and most logical for them. And it can also be bad for the industry as a whole. Like, what was good, what this, what the Chronicle did here was a success for Chronicle. And it was a a success for this project. And, you know, this went about as well as they could have hoped. But somehow we're also sitting here and, and able to argue that well maybe this was bad for books yeah. you know maybe this was bad for like and so I want to point out I want to like poke at that disconnect for a second like how is it that we've reached this point where a publisher and an author can make a publishing decision that works for them but also doesn't work for the industry and doesn't that say something a little bit like shouldn't that raise some sort of an alarm bell in the yeah. way the industry is structured and where we're headed. A lot of the arguments from the booksellers are, you know, about, you know, we've had this many, many year long relationship with this publisher. We've su- successfully, you know, kept to the rules about releasing big releases like Harry Potter and making sure that the seals aren't broken until midnight on the day of the mm-hmm. release, yeah. which is which is fair and good. The But there is a huge difference between opening up a box that everybody is waiting in line to get and, you know doing you know releasing a book that nobody knows is coming yeah like there's a huge gap in in how much knowledge there is there right and i feel like so there okay so the head buyer of the harvard bookstore uh whose name is rachel cass she was quoted in a publisher's weekly article saying quote there's no excuse for how poor the initial communication was no for nor for how slow the distribution has been in our channel said Cass. Mm -hmm. I worry that this type of thing does long-term damage to our industry as a whole. If there were customers who called their local indies to get the book this week and found out we couldn't supply it, they may be less likely to try us the next time. And that's true. But Amazon is also, but Amazon is also backed up three, four weeks in this book. Like the the fact of the matter is is they printed 40,000 books. Mm -hmm. There were 400,000 orders. So that already is a supply and demand issue. That is not a bookstore issue. Second of all, I feel like that statement, while being completely true, is also putting all of the blame on Chronicle in, you know, needing to make decisions that are bad, not bad, but less good for their business and their bottom line. And I feel like the part is missing here where bookstores are acknowledging that to keep up in the game, 
they shouldn't be reliant on people's, you know, other people in the business's charity. Mm-hmm. They should actually do the innovation themselves to stay relevant. Well, so even so I I tend to agree with that too, but you know, there's a point here, you know, one of the booksellers, you know, there's sort of some animosity that gets bred from that attitude. Yeah. You know, they said, you know, I mean, one of the quotes here, you know, it's unfortunate that Amp, that uh, Chronicle doesn't think, you know, we can do our jobs as professionals. You know what I mean? Like they take it as the slap in the face that, you know, you just kind of described, which is that um, it, there is sort of a tacit statement here that, um, you know, Chronicle had a, you know, a publishing situation that said, okay, we need these books available here. And we don't necessarily believe that these independent bookstores can, are they, we don't think they're up for the task. Yeah. And it's, I think your point about innovation is, it's a really important one. Um, because one thing that I will never hold, you know, and I wish that it would, I truly, I, I do. Like, I wish that we had a situation where, um, you could reasonably say to Chronicle, hey, what we need you to do is not just what's, you know, good for you, but what's good for the industry on the whole. You know, we need you, you know, and you should feel obligated to, you know, loop in all these other bookstores and maybe even, you know, like in a perfect world, you know, you'd send it just to them and they would all reap the windfall as opposed to Amazon and you could kind of do it that way. But like, it's the same thing. It makes me think a lot about like when consumers, like when individual readers talk about their buying habits, you know, like you can never... I don't think you're in a reasonable place as an industry when you're telling the consumer how to behave in a way or you're telling them how to um, to behave in a manner that isn't as convenient for them as possible. Like you're yeah. never going to win that fight. Like, you know, the book industry is not going to survive based on the sentimental value of not ordering on Amazon. The reason it'll survive is, is because someone provides a compelling reason to shop somewhere other than Amazon, you know, like it's and it's kind of the same thing on the on the back end here too like we're never going to like we're never going to be able to beat back this kind of on rushing you know crushing force that's kind of taking over this industry without a compelling reason to do so like there's never going to be any sort of um no one's going to do it because that's what's right it has to be because someone has created a system or created an innovation that um you know that makes it that changes something you know and that's that's kind of where the shame the shame of it that gets highlighted here is like it's almost like everybody is right in this situation i get why yeah. chronicle did what did what they did i get why all the bookstores are mad at chronicle for doing what they did and it's and that's the thing is like all of us are going to behave entirely reasonably and then the industry is going to go away <laughs> you know what i'm saying though but like yeah. it's like every when every individual actor is behaving in a manner that benefits them most within the systems that we have, and it's bad for the industry when that happens, it means you need new systems. It means you need something different to be happening. And the truth is we don't have that yet. Like, we don't have a means of, like, we aren't outstripping, you know, the distribution channels of Amazon, you know, with someone else. We aren't, you know, we don't have bookstores that are necessarily as quick and reactive as Chronicle would have needed in this situation to kind we of We don't have a distribution supply chain with books from warehouse to wholesaler to bookstore to all of, you know, to, to consumer that is fast enough to, to compete with books in a warehouse. Exactly. We just don't. Exactly. And that's, that's hard because it's like a hard truth that we all got to like look at ourselves in the mirror, you know, because... Um, I don't know. I just keep coming back to the idea, like, who should have behaved differently here? And I don't know. I don't know who should have. I mean, I guess I would say, you know, 
you could argue that maybe Chronicle should have, you know, done the independent bookstore route for their own long-term health, you know, because like... They're not profiting off the book, though. That's yeah. the thing. Yeah. It's a complete not... Like, yeah. all of the proceeds go to the Trevor Project. Yeah. So it's not... I mean, like, you can say that Chronicle did the very best thing for their... For their... Um, n- for their mission, yeah. which is to get money in the hands of this nonprofit. Yeah. yeah. You know, like it's, I, someone's got to reinvent the wheel a little bit. Yeah. You know, and somebody, somebody has to, you know, put it on Ingram, the biggest wholesaler in the United States yeah. to, to really kind of innovate and improve book shipping methods and book listing methods. You know, there needs to be, there needs to be maybe, um, online retail for local bookstores there you know like there's a lot of ways that bookstores can get in on this well it just hints at it also it hints at some of the um like maybe this is how i would put it john oliver doesn't need your bookstore yeah you know what i mean like john oliver would effectively could set up tomorrow you know for the next time he does he could set up just a site and have it be like, hey, here's my entirely self-created site where you can buy the book, you know? And which like, is kind of what he did. Which is kind of <laughs> what he did. And it's like, but the point is like, there are certain, you know, arenas of book publishing that have the ability and the potential to make so many other wings of it irrelevant, you know? Like, there are authors with the plat. It's like why, I mean, when we talk about self-publishing versus um, traditional publishing, like, there are some authors who simply don't need the infrastructure of a traditional publisher to do what they're trying to do. So it's like, why give away that much of a cut, you know? Yeah, and bookstores hate self-published authors. And so it's, you know, there are situations here where, you know, and it's increasingly, you know, true now that self-publishers are what they are and, um, you know, situations like this become more frequent where, um, you know, we just, the old models that we have too often, they are not the optimal one for a given situation. And it's like, if that's the more and more that becomes true, the more and more, you know, this giant corporate force is going to continue to, you know, gain influence inch by inch over our industry. And pretty soon, um, you know, they're going to make not that, I mean, and maybe they already are, you know, they're already making every choice for us. I mean, and it's, um, I don't know. It's just I don't want to say. I don't want to say it's disappointing because it's simply just a reality that has to be confronted. But like, um, someone's got to change something because when you look at a situation and everyone is acting in the manner that works best for that individual party and the entire system isn't working, like you're in trouble. And I just hope that we can we can kind of come up with something that changes that. I wonder how this would be different if Chronicle wasn't involved. So like Chronicle for all intents and purposes helped John Oliver's team self-publish this book. Right? You know, they're they're deciding where the profits go. They're, you yeah. know, they're the the last week tonight is in full control of it and I'm wondering how this would have been different if John Oliver just would have had, you know, 400,000 requests for this book on his own without uh, an end to the traditional publishing. I wonder if the yeah. bookstore, if the booksellers would be that mad or I wonder if it would start a conversation about being more open and also more relevant yeah. to writers who are eschewing traditional models. Well, so can I ask you, ones. let me ask you a clarifying question yeah. for our listeners. When you say that effectively because this 
structurally it isn't true that John Oliver he did not self-publish his book. He went through a, you know like right. he has a book publisher that is a traditional publisher, but you just made the point that um, in effect, John Oliver kind of self-published this book with the help of a press. What do you mean by that? Yeah. Okay. So um, traditional publishing deals are the publisher is basically optioning your work. Mm. They're buying the right to publish this. They're taking on all of the financial um, costs incurred. And as a as kind of a thank you for their trouble, what they're doing is they're paying you out a royalty. Usually that's somewhere between five and twenty five percent of gross receipts. Right. Um, This book is, you know, all of all of the proceeds are going to charity. So nobody's getting any sort of royalties. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, Or at least I assume so. Yeah. I assume that, you know, the the writing of this is, you know, kind of just included in the salary of the last week tonight employee sure. that did write it. Sure. Um, and I I'm I'm assuming that this is not, you know, according to traditional traditional methods. You know, there's no royalties. There's, you know, there's no split. There's probably no advance. It's probably just, hey, let's team up and do this. Chronicle probably took on the cost incurred and, you know, but in response is also getting a lot of press because they published this book. Yeah. Um, and they're probably going to make that money back and then maybe a little bit more. But, you know, again, that money doesn't stay with them. Right. This is not this is not a book that's going to pad the Chronicle coffers. There's sort of a contractually stipulated payee, right? Like right. It, it's this foundation. Yeah. Right? So yeah. in that way, it very much resembles yeah. a self-publishing deal yeah. where the author, um, you know, pays the publisher a set amount for the, for the services mm-hmm. and then that's it. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so that's, that's what it feels like to me as somebody with a lot of experience in that type mm-hmm. of that, in that arena. Um, and I, yeah, so I'm wondering if if they had gone with with a not traditional press to help them with that. Yeah. If everybody would still if if this might be more uh con like constructive conversation. Yeah. Yeah, I mean because then at least it would feel like I feel like where the consternation is arising is it feels as though Chronicle like betrayed some of its sales relationships. Yeah. Right. But if it's a self-published press, like they don't even have those. Yeah. <laughs> like, and if they, yeah. and if that self-published book turned to Amazon, yeah, then a lot of those booksellers could look back on themselves and say, "We are a hostile environment." Right. We to... weren't playing ball with these guys in the first place. Why should we expect? Exactly. Yeah. And then maybe we should do something a little bit different. Yeah. I mean, you know, and to be fair, there are a lot of really shitty self-published books out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are also a lot of self-published books that have access to traditional distribution methods and are very high quality. Yep. And Absolutely. just turning them down because they're because they're self-published is so short-sighted, especially when you consider, you know, gigantic self-published books out there. You know, the Fifty Shades of Grey trilogy. I was going to say, it just seems like um, there's so much more to it than just that binary now. Like, Yeah, there is. um, There's plenty. It's almost like that is much less important now in determining whether a book is going to be commercially successful than things like author platform and, you know, publicity and buzz around it and things like that. And this this one obviously is a no-brainer in that regard, but there are plenty of other books that also... um, you know, sort of fit that bill that may could make a bookstore say, "Hey, maybe we need to pay more attention mm-hmm. to." Maybe we maybe we don't want the free market to leave us behind. Yeah, <laughs> you know, 
Um, but yeah, it's a I think I think this is a really fascinating case because it really just showed all of the it really just showed us all of the the cracks in traditional book publishing um, in terms of distribution. And so it'll be interesting to see if any change comes out of it or any other meaningful conversations other than just like booksellers tweeting at John Oliver, telling <laughs> telling him to do a, do a yeah. thing about bookstores and about yeah. how they're in dire straits. Yeah. Well, it's like it's cracks in traditional publishing from a business perspective. Yes. Which sounds sort of redundant and like self-evident, but I think it's worth pointing out because so much of book publishing right now you know, we, we have, we've had this discussion a few times where is book publishing an art or is it a business, right? And like oftentimes when it's acting, you know, when it wants to be an art, it pretends it's an art. And when it wants to, you know, grab it some money, it wants to tell you it's a business. And the thing of it is, is this is one of those times where I think it's asking, it's asking in, re- in retrospect to be viewed as more of a art community than as mm-hmm. a business. Because what they're saying is, hey, we needed you to do something or think about things beyond just your own financial interest. We needed you to do something for the larger ecosystem here, which is sort of the publishing is a arts community that needs to support each other, even at the expense of our own, you know, financial gain um, sort of system. And I don't know, like I personally love, you know, I'm always on the side of, um, like I'm traditionally very much on the side of the booksellers argument here. Yeah, me here. too. Like I, <laughs> I mean, and that's kind of what saddens me um, because I want publishing to exist in a manner where all the parties, all the parties that really make, that have books' best interests in heart, that have, you know, the art and the craft of it all, you know, those people's best interests at heart, I want them to be able to get by and succeed because I think some of, so many of these institutions are so important. Um, but it's also, as it gets tighter and tighter and tighter, it's harder to ask that of individual parties. You know, it's one of those things where if the whole ecosystem isn't healthy, you can't ask individual parts of it to, you know, do things that don't help it meet it meet its bottom line in the best way possible. And um, so it's just tricky. And like people like more and more as, you know, publishing gets more dire and dire, like um, more choices like this are going to get made. It's going to be tougher and tougher to do things like loop in all the bookstores, even when they're not, as effective at selling the book you know like things like that it's gonna get tricky and i just that that genuinely worries me as always we'd like to leave you at the end of every episode with a write tip or a publishing tip to help you on your way and not just leave you with a sense of like dread and foreboding about publishing in general um so this week's pub tip is to subscribe to our first pages episode um if if you're a writer and you're querying or if you're just somebody who likes to write or if you're somebody who just really misses that you know that very like micro line by line dissection of books that you read from English class uh, back in college Um, all of this will be of interest to you and we'll do kind of like a real version of what we did to Sean Penn's sad 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 (laughs) first page so definitely uh, become a member of our wonderful Patreon tribe and we will see you for a regular episode on Tuesday branding is being (laughs) branding is being (laughs) 